0: all right welcome to episode six of the water ski podcast a little bit of a change in scheduling this week as uh, I will be answering some of the questions that I've received uh, over the last five or six weeks since we started this little journey. Um, I'm hoping to make some of these uh, episodes, like some more of these, I guess, because uh, I've been receiving a ton of questions. And for today, I've selected three that I kind of want to address, uh, I guess the best way I can, I feel that some of these are better qualified, some of these are less qualified, Uh, but hopefully they start a conversation, whether it's on your dock uh, at the lake or in your household or why not, even online. Um, So feel free to, you know, respond to whatever you hear this via email. By the way, if you want to send me some questions, you can go to thewaterskipodcast.com slash questions. Or you can send them over directly at Matteo at thewaterskipodcast.com. Um, so the first question, I this one comes from Paul, but I've received a lot of questions about um, performance anxiety or tournament, que- uh, tournament pressure. And uh, I selected this one from Paul because I think addressing this might help um, others that send similar questions or even some of the listeners that we have here. Uh, So Paul says, well, first, thank you for producing the podcast. I think the work that's been done by you and so many others to share your love for the sport and connect a lot of passionate skiers with people who are skiing at such a high level is wonderful. Well, thank you, Paul. I wanted to ask you something from the sports psychology perspective. I'm a 37-year-old hobbyist uh, with a bucket list item to cross off that is skiing in an amateur competition. Not a great skier, but I've improved over the years and really enjoyed the process, hitting 28 off at 34 miles per hour for the first time towards the end of this summer. Well, uh, I don't know. 28 off at 34 miles per hour is really good skiing, uh, I would say. Um, I'll be probably quite ugly. I still got it. The trick is I get pretty nervous about the idea of skiing in front of others, especially in a sport when you make a mistake, you're done. I just don't want to botch my first time out. Now, I know that no one cares and the people just love the community around skiing, but that still doesn't get rid of that anxiety. So how do you posture yourself mentally before you compete? How do you get around the performance anxiety so that you can just go out there and ski and realize you get to participate in something you love doing? Now, there's a lot of levels to this question, but seems like Paul is, you know, someone who has been skiing for a while. I mean, running 30, you know, 28 off at 34 miles per hour. I mean, you've already gone through the uh, climbing up the speeds process and you're running some, you're cutting the line. So definitely an avid skier. Um, the idea, it's interesting. Like it sounds like Paul gets nervous about the idea of competing, um, which is a totally different subject from getting nervous at competition, right? So um, the prospect of the competition uh, seems to give him a bit of anxiety. And he mentions about others watching. Now, um, one of the things we know about performance anxiety or anxiety in general um, is that is obviously an emotion, and there are two levels to this emotion. There's a physiological level, right? Um, and then there's a psychological one. So with the psychological level, sorry with the physiological level, we have those markers that are determinant of anxiety. So you have increased heart rate, increased respiration rate, uh, maybe a sweat response. Muscles tend to tense up, and that's a typical physiological um, pattern of the emotion called anxiety. Uh, It tends to be a negative emotion, and with with that emotion, there are generally negative thoughts associated with them, and that's the important bit here. Emotions, we tend to classify emotions as, say, positive or negative because of the Psychological part to them. Uh, the physiological part is not necessarily positive or negative. Um, and so, with performance anxiety, uh, comes some thoughts that are not so pleasant, right? And in terms of Paul, it seems that like the the thought of someone watching him is what generates the anxiety. Um, one of the things that we do uh as performers and even as sports psychology consultants is to try and expose ourselves to the thing that might cause a negative emotion. Um now there are technical reasons for it, so you can expose yourself to more uh tournament-like scenarios because of you know how you approach the pass, maybe you or someone that tends to do back-to-backs, well, that's not an option in tournaments. So you have to get used to get to your top performances without doing any back-to-backs. So that would be a technical reason why to try and, you know, simulate or emulate performances or, or tournaments. But also there's a psychological reason for it, right? So you are putting yourself under very similar Stressors. Now, how you interpret those stressors is the key aspect of whether that emotion will end up being anxiety or if we'll end up being excitement. And there's a great line of research um, showing that um, physiologically, okay, so in terms of the body response, anxiety and excitement look very similar. Very very similar, so we would say excitement you have the same increase in heart rate you have a sweat response you breathe faster you your muscles tend to tense up a little bit as well when you're excited The main difference is your um, your bloodstream so your your capillaries and your veins tend to be more um, uh, expanded like more There's a more dilatation of the blood vessels when you're excited. So, that allows a better intake of oxygen as opposed to a similar physiological state that is typical of of, uh, anxiety. So... But obviously the two emotions feel feel very different and the reason for it is that the psychological part is different. So the thoughts are more, as Paul says, and that people just love the community around skiing, right? So here you have the conflict of, I know that um, I could have a potentially positive experience, but the thought pattern still tends to be negative, right? And so... The first advice I would give to Paul and to others who, you know, whether they're trying to get ready for their first event or they are seasoned skiers and they're uh, trying to become better at handling emotions, uh, the first advice would be put yourself in those situations. So in terms of Paul, maybe try some tournament sets at home or bring a friend or someone that is at the lake and have them ride for you, Right something that maybe you don't have often. Um, Certainly try to ski somewhere, like go if you have the ability uh, or it's feasible, try to ski in a different site, right? And so put yourself in a different situation that is not as comfortable. The second aspect to it is the psychological part, right? And there you... There's obviously different ways of approaching it, but one simple way to approach it is to um, talk with people and see what their first experience at a tournament is like. Because in the case of Paul, he is not even thinking about, um, you know, it's more about, it seems to me it's like more about the experience, right? Um, so get information, see what others Um, how how others had their first tournament to be like. Um, And then obviously the reinforcement of the idea that you're going there because you want to test yourself, because it's fun, really keeping those positive cognition in front of you um, as you prepare for that first tournament. Now, the other side of it is that tournaments are a lot of fun. Uh, you get to be close to, you know, like-minded people, skiers, and um, obviously my advice to Paul is sooner than later, go and ski your first tournament. doesn't have to be a big tournament. It could be a grassroots event or a C-class, um, anything that is um, like, you know, viable um, because it, it, it really is a lot of fun. And I think Paul can resonate. Um, you know, skiing is addictive. Obviously, if you got to, you know, turning boys at 28 off at 34, you've been skiing for a while. Well, tournaments tend to be like that too, and it's obviously a um, a good addiction, right? And one that you can share with your friends and family. So yeah, to sum up, uh, expose yourself in practice. To those tournament scenarios both in terms of how a tournament ski set will look like uh so even like you know not a lot of chatting on the in the boat with with boat crew um do your scores off the dock and then also get a little bit out of your comfort zone in terms of the psychological aspect of um performance anxiety and um, Go somewhere that is uncomfortable, somewhere that you might not have skied, have people ride that might have never ridden for you. uh, And that should really help to transition those thoughts from negative, which make that physiology be more like anxiety, to positive, which hopefully brings the physiology into excitement. And I don't have to explain how different those two emotions are. So, the second question comes from Zane, um, who says, Thank you for taking time to do this podcast and answer your questions. What can one do to end or mitigate a cold streak in performance? I want to find out how to apply this towards skiing, slalom in specific, and what to apply psychologically. Now, uh, for any skiers listening who, you know, tries to improve themselves and become better you you probably know that um it's not a linear process right so you make uh, some kind of breakthrough you may run say an extra buoy or an extra two buoys and then everything goes down six or eight buoys or you start to miss your opener or second pass and it feels like whatever you discovered or whatever breakthrough you made um kind of disappears. Um, Well, and I I would say most people know that that's not really the case. It's not that you have lost everything or you're forgotten how to ski. Um, You're just in a slump, right? You're in in a valley. Now, one of the things that can help, I would say, to begin with, is good logging. So I don't know if Zane is doing this, but definitely log your performances, Um, And it can be as simple as, you know, date, uh, score, and a few simple notes about what happened on that set, right? It could be physical, it could be uh, technical, it could be equipment-based, it could be psychological, but really logging everything in such a way that when you go back, the memory trace will go okay that's that was that set back in march or whenever that was so good simple logging can go a long way because oftentimes slump i mean slumps occur or cold streaks happen for can happen for a, a ton of reasons but sometimes is as simple as forgetting what your cues are and what you need what you should be focusing on And so, having the ability to go back and and check what you were focusing on, say, uh, when you were having a streak of good performances, or even just like consistent skiing, that can help maybe going back to those cues. Uh, Now, the other thing that I would say is maybe take focus away from performances, Right. So it's so easy in our sport to get fixated with buoy count and say, okay, um, let's just say for um, sake of example here, um, your average is, say, three at 28 off. So you know that in a set, you can go out and do three, um, and then the majority of your sets, you can run 22 off. Um, And then you start missing 22. Or maybe you go out and you, you can't get past one ball at, at 28. Now, the idea there becomes, okay, what, like you start asking questions, what might be happening, right? And uh, the important thing there is to reflect fairly systematically, right? So starting with physical, am I feeling good? Um, am I rested? Uh, technical, and obviously there you you might have, you know, your own ideas about technique, if you're lucky, if you're on the very lucky percentage, you may have a coach or you have some skiing partners that know how you ski and watch you ski, that could give you some input. Obviously, video can go a long way, right? So watching yourself on video, you can identify maybe some of the things that you might be doing. Um, the other thing, obviously, is psychological, right? And so <clears throat> staying within the mental aspect of skiing, um, one of the things that you can see is where is your focus? Like, are you focusing on too many things at once? Which is kind of a recipe for lower performances. Now, doesn't, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be thinking whilst you're skiing. Um, that's not what I want to say. But if you're trying to change too many things whilst you're skiing then chances are that your performances will be affected. Now, you might be okay with it because maybe you're changing two things that are very um, integral to your technique and it's inevitable that your performances will drop. Uh, But maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're just skiing competitively and your performances are being affected when then in terms of focus, Be interesting to see if the things you're focusing on are inducive to good performance, right? And I'll give you an example for about this. So let's say that um, in practice you're being you're being working on your edge change, right? And so when you practice, you're really focusing on whatever it is that you want to change about your edge change. But that might not be the best thing to focus on while you're trying to get high performances, right? So you have this edge change aspect of your skin that you want to change, you want to modify, and in practice, you work on that, but then when you're trying to get good performances, you might have um, another cue that helps you get more buoys. Uh, now, those are those are two very different things, right? So maybe you're working on your edge change, um, in practice, and you're trying to improve that, of course with the expectation of eventually improving your buoy count, but maybe when you're trying to push yourself to the limit of the level you currently are, you have another cue, something like say, stuck through the wakes, okay? Uh, And you know that when you think about staying stuck through the wakes, that's when you're able to perform to your potential. So that, in terms of psychologically, during a streak of cold performances, Uh, Or better, (laughs) sorry, doing a cold streak of performances. um, It might be worth assessing where your focus is. Obviously, if you're focusing on too many things. But if you're not, reassess whether what you're focusing on right now is what allows you to perform at your best at your current level, right? Um, So, for instance, for me, uh, when I ski tournaments... The only thing I try to focus on is, well, there's two. I always try to have one before the gates and one in the course. And for me, what works is control the line after pullout and then ski aggressive in the course. Now, these are my cues and they don't necessarily work for everyone, but I really try to focus on those two things. Now, in practice... Particularly the second one, I'm not focusing on that in practice. I might be focusing on, um, say, lately I've been focusing a lot on how I control my handling to my on-site turn. And that's good because I need to become better at that. But when I ski a tournament this upcoming weekend, I won't be focusing on that because I know that that doesn't bring me to performances. That's something technical that I'm trying to change. So I know I give you a lot, Zane, but um, I think good reflection after performances and if you are logging go back to your logs see what was working when you were skiing in a consistent manner the third and final question i'd like to address um, this week comes from tony Uh, so she sent me uh, actually quite a long list of questions and i'm sorry about this but i'll just uh, address a few of these Um, and hopefully the listeners can take something away from from these answers. So Tony goes, I love your podcast. Thank you for putting it together. The water ski world needs this. Well, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Um, I'm a skier, I won't say where, um, and my son and I have been competing water skiing for about five years now. My son is one of the top skiers in his age divisions, and... uh, is now in passing in a new division. Uh, one of the things I'd like to know is what kind of money do professional water skiers really make? I see that a handful of tournaments offer cash prices, but it hardly seems to be enough to cover the cost of flights, tournament entries, hotels, etc. Uh, what are some of the top pros making? I know they get boats and skis to use, but what other expenses are paid for and can they really earn a living? Obviously, pro football, basketball, and baseball stars make millions, but what is the real number for professional skiers? I know it's not much, but I don't know what a realistic number is. I would like some more insight. Well, let's start with this question. Um, The simple answer is, who knows? Um, Certainly, we're not talking about the professional sports that you mentioned, but you already knew this. The... um, the, it's tough to say, and I think things are, are corollary, right? So the, the main, I would say the three main sources of income that a pro skier can expect to have are prize money from pro tournaments, sponsorships, which may come in, uh, in the form of money and or um, equipment. And the third one is coaching. Now, uh, I think the third one is not given, uh, enough credit. Like, so a lot of people think, oh, well, you're a pro skier, but then you really live through coaching, making it sound like coaching shouldn't be part of a professional water skier, um, endeavor, um, and I tend to disagree with that. I think that um, maybe because I'm too passionate about the sport, but I think that that's a completely uh, not only honest way of making a living, but also like a, one that goes really. It's 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 a coherent way of uh, making a living from pro skiing. So yeah, giving numbers, it's um, it's tough. Right. Um, one of the things I think also needs to be considered is that a lot of these pro skiers that you read about or you see get into a position where the sport becomes really inexpensive. And that's a really cool thing because water skiing is not cheap, right? Um, so I think even almost I would say sometimes without being a pro skier, being a very high level skier, allows you to spend less money skiing, which I think is a, is a super cool thing because this sport is super viable to, you know, the young skiers, the, you know, single digits year olds and the, uh, you know, not so young skiers. Um, so I think that's another advantage that like aspiring to become a professional skier, um, gives now should pro skiers make more money absolutely uh and you'll hear in other venues how you know uh we're working just as hard to become better at what we do than other sports that um in which professional athletes make more money so i think the times are changing um there is a growth in the sport more pro tournaments are becoming available, especially in slalom, um, which seems to be the event that you and your son enjoy. And, uh, yeah, uh, is your son going to be able to live forever out of the fruits of his professional career? No. Will he be able to live of his skiing and work on it and trying to become the best for a while, I think so. I think so, particularly in the next few years. Uh, If things continue to grow as they're growing now, which is not a crazy growth rate, but it's a growth rate. You know, there were, I believe, 13 pro slalom tournaments this year around the world um, with cash price. Um, I think that, you know, he might be able to make a living out of his skiing proudness and his coaching ability. Uh, that I would not factor that out um, in the future, like, for sure. Um, now, there, there's huge differences. I think the very top slalomers in the world, so take, I don't know, top, top three women, top five men, they do manage to make a living out of skiing. Um, and a good living well that's all relative depends what you define by a good living um, but I think I, I, will share, I will share this story so when I was in the juniors coming up uh, my dad basically told me listen you're not going to make a living out of this so you might as well you know focus on other things also now My dream, I say, and that's why I started doing pro tournaments and I'm really passionate about the growth of the pro scene, is that in, say, five, ten years time, um, the parents of this junior skier coming up might be able to say, look, work hard. You might be able to live off of your skiing ability for a few years if you do well, um, but obviously make sure that you get education and then you figure out a way to make a living after your skin is done. Um, It might not seem as a huge difference, but it takes more pro tournaments, higher cash prices, um, and the growth of the sport in general for this to happen. So this was your first question. Um, The second question is, well, my son is 13 and I wonder if it's even worth pursuing the goal of being a world champion. Right now, we really struggle to afford the sport and I can hardly even afford to provide him with the training he really needs. If he gets invited to any larger tournaments down the road, I may not be able to afford to send him. Now, the goal uh, should be distinguished from the money, right? And I think it's a fair point to make. The world championships in water skiing For as prestigious of an event as it is, and as much as we talk about great skiers in terms of their worlds as well, it's an amateur event. There's no money at Worlds. Your sponsors might care. You may get more coaching gigs, but it's an amateur event. So pursuing to be a world champion is slightly different than pursuing to be a professional water skier. Um... But I do certainly resonate with you know the cost of the sport and the struggles that come with it. Um, I think the big thing that is going to help your son improve in the sport is a true passion for training and for the for everything that comes around with the sport, like being close to water, going to the lake. everything that comes around being a water skier. I think that's the first and foremost thing. Because if it just becomes about performance, then the risk of burnout, the risk of just being disinterested about the sport, particularly in a few years' times, a few years' time, that risk can increase. Um, but then in terms of like, and this goes to your third question, so w- what is the process for young aspiring skiers? Um, coaching is a huge thing. Um, having someone that you trust, that you can trust to coach your son, um, which inevitably involves you being removed from the picture a little bit and really say, okay, well, um, he or she is your coach. And when it comes to skiing, slalom, whatever it is, tricks, jump, um, then you listen to him or her. I think that's a crucial component of becoming a good skier, particularly in those teenager years and even before that. Um, Now, when it comes to, you know, more the adult age, um, a coach is, um, a truly good coach is a treasure, but you do see athletes also just figuring like, Figuring out things on their own, which is a harder and more complex process. But it definitely at this young age, good coaching and possibly consistent coaching, right? So not what I would consider a spot coaching here and there, but really making sure you have someone that you trust and your son feels comfortable skiing with. And it's almost always the same person. Now, as he becomes older and becomes a better skier, more input is welcomed. But w- having one person that you go to and then you can trust uh, really helps a ton in the in the process of becoming a better skier. Um, now, what are training options for talented skiers who can't afford much? Are there scholarship opportunities somewhere that I might not be aware of? Well, here you find me a little bit unprepared. Um, <laughs> I think... Two of the resources that I am aware of are junior development teams. So I know they happen to be divided in regions in the United States and they select athletes who are, you know, aspiring and, and growing in the sport to get coaching um, and opportunities to ski. So I, I would certainly like invite you to look into those opportunities if you're not already uh, taking advantage of those. Um I'm sure that in the internet, on the internet, you can see like special deals for uh, training camps at some of the best ski schools in the country. Um, those are certainly good, like training weeks, but they're also fun weeks, right? Um, and again, I can't stress that enough. If the passion is there, that makes you your son wanting to ski that extra set, even if it's getting a little cold or if it's windy. And all those turns add up into the improvement of a skier. And then I believe that AWSA gives out some scholarships that are are actually based on uh, academic proficiency. I'm sure that is the case for um, high schoolers and college. I'm not so sure about like uh, early teens, but I would encourage you to go and look into those opportunities on USA Water ski. Um So yeah, first episode, answering a few questions from listeners. Feel free to send some more. Uh, I really enjoy reading these and trying to brainstorm how I can try to give a coherent enough answer. Um, stay tuned. There's a great, exciting interview uh, that to be published next week, um, and it will actually be a two-part interview. So stay tuned, subscribe, make sure to tell your friends to subscribe. And if you wouldn't mind giving me a rating uh on iTunes um, and a review, that helps with the with the charts. Um we've been climbing charts pretty consistently. We made top hundred on a few countries in the sports uh category of podcasts. So keep it up, uh keep listening, keep sharing, and uh let's continue to promote this. Fantastic sport. Until then, uh, have a good week, ski hard, and stay tuned for next week's interview.